And today um, we are talking about reemerging in life, reemerging with life, love, and self-care after trauma. And trauma has a lot of different meanings. A lot of times we associate with trauma with the most extreme of circumstances when in fact trauma and traumatic experiences impact us all very differently. So one of us can experience something and it just, you know, brush it off our shoulders like it was nothing. And then there's others who really struggle with it and really have a hard time getting back on their feet as a result. So today we are going to be looking at how we reemerge, how we rise up after experiencing varying levels of trauma and how that impacts our life, our love, and our self-care. And so we're going to be joined today by licensed professional counselor, Jill Mays. And we've got a lot that we're going to be covering today. We're going to be looking at hope as a strategy. I know we've, we've, we don't think of hope as a strategy for, for survival and for getting through, but hope as a strategy. We're going to be looking at complicated grief. What is complicated grief? And we are also going to, as always, look at the balance challenge. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking about emerging, re-emerging after the storm. We're looking at love, life, and self-care after trauma. And I want to introduce our guest. Our guest today is Jill D. Mays, and um, she is a licensed professional counselor. Are you on the line, Jill? Are you there? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Ah, there she is. Hi, Dr. Pamela. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited about today's show. Yes, yes, me too, because you have such great insight, and I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about all of these topics that we're going to be discussing today. Um, and then for those of you who are following on Facebook Live, I encourage you, if you want to be able to hear Jill on the phone, you definitely want to go to the Sensation Station Network's Facebook page, and you'll be able to hear everything there. Um, but let me introduce Jill. So Jill is a licensed professional counselor with over 25 years of experience in the behavioral health field. She has a BA in psychology from Emory, an MS in community counseling for from Georgia State, and a certificate in leadership from the University of Georgia. Um, recognized by Atlanta Magazine, along with Atlanta Mayor Shirley Franklin, and a list of other noted women making a mark, Jill's passion for helping others has led her to dedicate most of her career to developing and leading successful clinical and service provision programs in Atlanta and across the country. She's currently Assistant Director of the Office of Adult Mental Health at the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities where she provides programmatic oversight to crisis services, the PATH Homeless Services Program, um, Behavioral Health Treatment Court Services, the Forensic Peer Mentoring Program, and other special projects, including Community Intervention Training um, Advisory Board. Um, So she's... And the list goes on. So she is <laughs> quite the busy, phenomenal, life-changing woman. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jill. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. No problem. And I know um, the way that we got connected was around this topic of trauma and, um, um, uh, you know, being a part of events that address this very issue. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. We're 
both drawn to to helping individuals who experience trauma and and there are lots of them there are and and i don't know that we realize how how many of us are are impacted by it and as i mentioned before um we introduced you um is that there are varying well people vary in the way that they respond to traumatic experiences so so two people can experience the exact same event and for one it is highly traumatic and for another it is you know it's just something they brush off their shoulders and keep moving exactly exactly and and i think that has a lot to do with um the resiliency factors that we have, and maybe we can get into that a little later in the show. Absolutely. That really makes a difference in how we deal with things. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, I want to start just basic. So if we can just start with, um, you know, just understanding the definition of trauma. Um, when we talk about trauma, just so we're all on the same level and we all understand where we're coming from, how would you define or describe trauma as we're discussing it today? Um, I, I just like to use the real simple dictionary definition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anything that's um, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience, and that can be um, things such as abuse or rape, or natural disasters, man-made disasters like active shooters that mm-hmm. you know we've been experiencing lately, right. um, tragic car accidents or military combat, but anything that's deeply distressing on a personal level or dis- or, or very disturbing experience that creates this emotional shock. Mm-hmm. And, and we are the ones that um, determine what's deeply distressing and, dis- and disturbing is, is the way that I understand it. I, what are your thoughts about that? I, I agree. Cause like okay. you said before, um, you know, two people can be in the same motor vehicle and have a car accident and it's deeply disturbing and distressing for one. And the other kind of just brushes it off and is able to, you know, kind of bounce back pretty quickly and move through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it, you know, sometimes it depends on predispositions and the level of trauma maybe that you've been exposed to in the past. Right. Again, resiliency factors, how many people you have in your support network, you know, who are there to help you through it. All those things I think make a difference in our individual experiences or traumatic situations. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I find so disturbing about what's going on in our society um, nowadays, and I think, you know, there's pros and cons um, with us being also intimately connected with each other via the web, right? <laughs> so oh, we, most definitely. I don't know that I'm starting to think that there are more cons <laughs> than there are pros, um, because I kind of liked it when I just was able to connect with my own little network face to face. And now we've got people from all walks of life who may or may not know who I am and may want to comment on something I said in, in, a, in a hostile manner um, because they can. They're on the other side of the world or they're, you know. Um, and so the way that we interact with each other, I think, um, you know, plays itself out as it pertains to trauma. Um, and so, for, for example, um, we the, the whole Me Too movement that has been going around, you know, um, and, and the, the, the purpose was to bring um, – awareness to sexual assault that happens in the workplace. Um, and, and, you know, and it's extended beyond that, of course. But one of the things that's happened is I've seen um, men who've tried to express their own um, traumatic experience, experiences with sexual abuse and have been silenced, you know, by women who have said, there's no way you can identify with what I've experienced and, and, and belittle the man's experience with sexual assault. And so we try to 
take our situation and say, well, it wasn't as bad as mine and minimize somebody else's. Have you seen that? I've seen that. And, you know, I think the thing is, you know, it's for us to all kind of be aware that, you know, again, trauma is very personal. And the woman who, you know, kind of has the position will know a man could never experience what I've been through. She's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Because his trauma as a man is totally different different. than what her experience would be as a woman. So on some levels, she's right. Mm -hmm. But to minimize, you know, the the traumatic experience of of a man who's been sexually assaulted, um, you know, I I think that's deeply troubling. Yeah, I see Um, so much of it. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think to go back to your earlier point with the Internet, I think the Internet has exposed us all to a level of trauma that you just didn't see, you know, even a decade ago. Um, Just to look at the news feed on Facebook every day, we're just inundated with seeing traumatic shootings, accidents, disasters, um, you know, hostile protests, things that before we just didn't get inundated with that every day. Right. Yeah. You know, and I want to, I want to come back to that because I think that that has to be doing something to us, um, psychologically. And, but for first, we're going to get into the trending topics. And when we get through trending topics, we're going to come back to that. Okay. Primary election. Lack of diversity. Gas prices. Michael Jackson. Trending topics. All right. So trending this week, um, there's a couple of things, but the the one thing that I want to um, bring up once again is, um, and feel free to chime in on any of this, Jill, (laughs) um, is um, Black Panther. So Black Panther is still all the rage. (laughs) Um, Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. (laughs) And how many times have you seen it? Are you like a normal person? I've just seen it once, but only because I have a broken foot and I haven't been able to get out much. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're so you're normal. You went to see it one time. I'm a little abnormal. (laughs) I've been three times. I Um, I think you're more the norm. Yeah, you think so? It's it's common. Yeah, it's it's so good, and I um I always happen to catch something different every time I watch it. So it's been um kind of a repeat experience for me. I'm I'm actually more than willing to go again and again and again. Um, so I don't think that I'm yet done. Um, but, <laughs> but um, Black Panther, at least at the at the time of pulling this information together, reportedly earned 108 million um in this country, um in its second weekend in theaters, and so making it the number one movie in the country now. With recent box office success, Ryan Coogler, who is the director, um, has gone to earn $700 million globally. So um, the movie still hasn't made its way to some countries like Japan, China, and Nigeria. And so it's on its way. One is, you know, it hasn't even gotten there yet. Um, but it's on its way to be a billion-dollar film. That is just amazing. <laughs> yeah. So um, lots of conversation. It's really interesting. Um, I had a, a, you know, I, I was I was attacked <laughs> on social media, um, you know, just for a debate or a conversation that was happening um, with regards to Black Panther. And um, 
And it's just interesting how strong the viewpoints are on both sides. There's so many different ways people have um, dissected this film. And um, from the standpoint of, um, I mean, I've heard everything from the men are oppressed and the women are liberated to why are white people wearing African clothes when they go see the movie to... Um, I mean, you name it. The debates have just been <laughs> off the chain. <laughs> so, um, yes. But, you know, as long as we're enjoying ourselves and, and uh, supporting this movie, you know. So the second thing is Stacey Dash. So Stacey Dash has decided to run for Congress. Um, I have yet to see anybody who is particularly thrilled about this, but this is what she's doing. She declared her candidacy for the House of Representatives in California's 44th District, a Democratic stronghold in the southern suburbs of L.A., which is very interesting because it never struck me that she would appeal to a Democratic crowd in L.A., but that's where she's that's where she's going to run. Um, and so this includes North Long Beach, Compton, and Watts. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, good luck. And then the last one is a black history fact, even though I know technically last yesterday was the last day, but it is now Women's History Month, so we can kind of cross the lines a little bit there. So um, there's, there's one more um, Black History Month tidbit, or you can consider it women's history. Melissa Harville LeBron. She's the first black woman to own a NASCAR team and made her racing debut on February 18th um, this past week. Um, the CEO of WM Stone Enterprises and owner of E2 Northeast Motorsports, her team debuted at Daytona as part of the Camping World Truck Series. Yay, go Melissa. <laughs> All right. So those are your trending topics. So right before uh, we got into trending topics, we were talking about um, social media. And um, and Jill, you, would you mind kind of reiterating what you were saying? You were talking about how social media has, you know, sort of brought its own form of trauma to all of us? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Facebook and Instagram, those things have just inundated us daily with traumatic things that, you know, we're vicariously experiencing. Yes. Um, and, you know, I remember before, you know, there was social media, even when um, cable television was um, just really getting going and CNN started broadcasting news 24 hours a day. I remember uh, just being glued in front of my TV and devastated by the shock and awe campaign from the Gulf War yes, and, yes. and things like that. And we don't realize how much that stuff sticks to us. Right. And, and for some people, you know, I think it can have the effect of numbing us, you know, to trauma and to devastating things where we just walk around not even feeling because we're just full up to the top with, you know, just traumatic things and and that can be really devastating emotionally and mentally it can almost just paralyze you right absolutely and 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 I do wonder about that and and in in your world of mental health um are there any measures that are being taken to address that as far as you know is this something that's an active part of healing or addressing challenges that we're seeing you know I think, Dr. Pamela, this is really an untapped area of looking at, you know, the vicarious trauma of, you know, our communities through social media. Now, I was um, 
I can't recall the reason, but I was just looking back at, um, oh, I was watching the Rosa Parks story on um, TV, mm-hmm. and a lot of that was focused on, you know, it happened right after the death of Emmett Till, mm-hmm. and how, you know, the death of Emmett Till, it motivated, you know, uh, an entire community to, to move for change. And if that were the effect that we were seeing out of all of this, it would be great right. that the vicarious trauma moved us all to do something better and to do positive things in our community. That would be great. I think yeah. like what we're, like what we're seeing with the um, the youth now who are kind of motivated around um, you know changes in our gun laws because they've just had it up to here done, with yeah. you know yeah they're just done with the trauma in the schools a place where they want to be safe to just you know do teen things right. Um, but, you know, it's not always the case that, you know, this vicarious trauma motivates positivity. I think a lot of times we see it just motivates more violence. Uh, it yeah. motivates more despair. So I think it's a real untapped area that the mental health field is going to have to start to look at how to, you know, mitigate some of that. Absolutely. And and this is only the beginning of it. You know, um, though the Internet has been out since I know, um, what, 94, um, probably a little earlier than that, it hasn't had the impact um, that it's having now. It, it is a, it's a completely different monster. And I think that um, we're just at the beginning. So we haven't really even begun to see how intense it, it can get. Um, we're, I want to I want to stay on this for a little bit longer. So when we come back from the break, um, we'll, we'll revisit this. Um, so stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and joining me on the phone is licensed professional counselor Jill Mays. Um, and so we're talking about trauma, and we're looking at um, specifically right now. We're looking at um, just the internet and and social media and how that has brought its own form of trauma um, to us. And so the last question that I asked Jill was about um, what how the mental health um, professional profession is dealing with the traumas that can stem from social media. Um, what kind of traumas have you seen stem from social media, Jill? Um, well, I guess, you know, what's, what's going on right now, just um, the trauma of the shooting and what we're seeing, you know, right here where I live, um, well, right in Metro Atlanta, you know, just in the last week, we've had several copycat. Yes. Three um, that I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and I think that's just a part of being exposed, mm-hmm. you know, daily, hourly right. to all of these tragic events. And, and like we said earlier, you know, it impacts people in different ways. Uh, for some people, it causes deeper despair about, you know, the world and how safe it is. Uh, for some people, it, it's a motivating factor. It's that, you know, seeing that one story was the last straw that, mm. you know, emboldened someone to say, okay, I can do it. Right. Right. So I, and not a positive, I can do it, you know, and that's, you that's the thing. Like you said, it could rally us all together for something positive, but we're seeing the opposite happen. Exactly. And I think even, um, you know, kind of that whole weekend of social media after the protest in Charlottesville, you know, it 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 emboldened some people to say, "Oh my goodness!" You know, I need to get out there and and you know fight for 
my rights and a lot of individuals, you know, have taken that to mean I need to fight for my rights in a violent type mm-hmm. of way. Right. And, you know, I don't think we've seen the end of, you know, the effect of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think the effect of that is still, um, you know, loud and clear in, in some of the dialogue that I've seen, even just talking about Black Panther, um, you know, the effect of something like Charlottesville and how that has an impact on the black community and people who are just kind of fed up with being marginalized um, in society. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it has effects that I don't even think can be tracked or measured or calculated that, that just kind of permeate in our interactions with each other. Right. And, you know, and I, I think, you know, what you just mentioned in Black Panther, you know, the, the character Killmonger, yes. you know, definitely, you know, a great example of what can happen to a person after years of being exposed to, you know, just having, you know, not having what you need of being oppressed, mm-hmm. yes. of being violated. Um, and, you know, he rose up in power and said, you know, I've had enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a lot of debate about whether or not he was truly a villain um, or if he was somebody who was, um, you know, traumatized. And I think that there's probably room for both. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think I think, he, I think he was definitely traumatized. And, you know, like I said, it, it, that that raw, you know, pain and anguish yes. that, you know, maybe just was not guided mm-hmm. in a positive direction that led to the villain, right. you know, side of him. Yeah, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much with that. And um, one of the things that I am looking to do is is pulling out um, some themes of of trauma from from Black Panther. And um, so that's something that, um, you know, I'm going to be kind of chewing on for a while. But before we um, go on with this conversation, um, we're going to go into the research. In the interest of science. Okay. Science. 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 Okay, so today's um, research is looking at complicated grief. So, um, and today's research is brought to you by Red Door Consulting. Um, Red Door Consulting is a boutique management consulting firm that prides itself as an innovative leader in brand development. They help to upgrade you and your business to give you the image that's going to attract exactly um, who you are designed to serve. So, reach out to Red Door Consulting. It's www.reddoorconsulting8.com. It's Red Door Consulting and the number 8.com. And also brought to you you by BBLA Cosmetics. They are a proud sponsor of the Live Exchange Radio and they are the ones responsible for the look on my face. <laughs> so complicated grief. Um, I'm sure you've heard of this one, um, Jill. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So complicated grief. When I first came across the term complicated grief, um, it was um, in my research of heartbreak and what people go through when they've been brokenhearted after the ending of a relationship. Um, And so complicated grief um, is actually much broader than that in scope, and um, especially after kind of looking at how the Mayo Clinic, um, you know, defined it, that, you know, complicated grief can be something that happens after a number of things, such as an unexpected or violent death, such as a death from a car accident or the murder or suicide of a loved one, um, the death of a child, um, close or dependent relationship to a deceased person, um, social isolation 
or loss of a support system or friendship. So no death involved in that. Um, past history of, of depression, um, separation, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress. Um, traumatic childhood experiences such as abuse or neglect or other major life stressors such as financial hardships, which surprised me. Financial hardships leading to complicated grief. So let me tell you all what complicated grief is. Um, so for most people who experience, you know, we experience what's called normal grief, grief and bereavement. Um, you know, we'll have a period of sorrow or numbness, guilt or anger. And gradually, you know, these feelings ease and it's possible to accept the loss and move forward with our lives. Um, but for others, the feeling of loss um, are, is debilitating and they don't improve even after some time passes. And so um, in complicated grief, painful emotions are so long lasting and so severe that you have trouble recovering from the loss and resuming your own life. Um, is that is that how you understand it, Jill? Does that make sense? That, that, is, that is definitely how I see it and it makes perfect sense. So, and I wonder, you know, and the reason why I brought up complicated grief is because um, it's something that, you know, isn't just normal terminology that we hear, but we see people struggle through it. You know, I know people who um, still really struggle with the loss of their loved ones in ways, and I think this is key, in ways that are debilitating. Um, because, you know, we may struggle with the, the loss of a loved one for years and years and years, but there's a difference between struggle in which you're able to move on and continue your life and struggle in which it's debilitating and you're just stuck. I, I agree. Um, and I've, I've met a woman recently. Um, there's an area in Alabama. I can't recall the name of, of this area, but something happened and the water was contaminated there for years by a company and mm. This woman's family has experienced, I think now they're up to six or seven deaths related, related to, you know, this water contamination. And then there's several other family members who are terminally ill now and, you know, eventually will die. And, you know, and in talking to the woman, you know, I I could just feel the numbness that she felt. It's, It's almost as if, you know, you know, she death has just become a, a you know a regular part of her life experience wow well okay so so pause there because i want to hear a little bit more about how this plays out in an individual we're going to go to break but um i want to come back to this situation okay all right stay with us we'll be right back Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I have joined me today um, Jill Mays, licensed professional counselor, and we're talking about trauma and how you know reemerging after. So you've got life, you've got love, you've got self care, um, and how do you manage all of those things after trauma? So right before the break, Jill was telling us about a situation of um, a woman who lost numerous family members due to water contamination, and um, and the last thing you said I thought was quite profound was that death is just become a part of who she is, a part of her life. Um, can you talk about that a little bit in, in terms of what does that look like? I mean, you know, you, you, how does she live and how does she go through life from day to day? You know, I, I think she she's just kind of walking around in a daze. It's almost like when you were talking about 
what you know, quote unquote normal grief is. Mm-hmm. You know, we experience the loss, you know, and we're sad and we go through the phases of, of grief and we bounce back. Right. But she doesn't have time to bounce back. It's almost like before. You know, before she has a chance to get over one death, then there's another death. Mm. And then the individuals are related to her in different ways, you know, from a parent to, you know, a child who's, you know, experiencing some effects of, of that water contamination now to a sister. And there's all those dynamics, you know, and you just don't have time to resolve all of that and and. It has just caused her to become isolated. Mm-hmm. She really, you know, has pulled back from all of her friends. She's having difficulty in her marriage, you know, and you get the sense that when you when loss is so pervasive like that, right. it's like, I don't I don't want to love anybody else because I'm going to lose them. Yeah, gosh. And, and that just, you know, that just takes away from the quality of your life Absolutely. and your relationships. So how do you balance that out when you, when you, I mean, that is a very, you know, logical fear, you know, I've lost so many people. I'm just going to go ahead and and pull away and and do my thing without getting attached to anybody. You know, how do you (laughs) manage that, that level of fear? And, you know, how do you get over that? You know, in that particular case, Dr. Pamela, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Um, You know, because part of what would probably help is leaning into people that are, you know, in her circle and who can support her. Right. But that's a really scary thought for her. Yeah. The leaning in is the thing that that, that she's fearful of. That's so interesting. The very thing that can help her. Wow. Okay. So we're going to go back to um, another break. And um, when we come back, we're going to look um, a little bit more about how to rise after trauma. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Live Exchange. Hey, Miriam Frost. I see you there jumping on on uh, Facebook Live. Thanks for joining us today. We are talking about trauma and how to overcome. Once you overcome, how do you get your life back? How do you reemerge to get your life back? And we were just talking about complicated grief, which is an extreme form of grief that um, is debilitating when it's when it's um, you know after we've experienced a, a loss of some sort, um, and he'd even mentioned financial. Had you heard it from the standpoint of financial, Jill? Oh, I've experienced it from the standpoint of financial. Can you explain it because it might be my life too? But I'm just curious <laughs> how it plays out <laughs> financially. You know, and I think some some years ago, um, you know, I was at a job that I loved and, and actually thought this would be the job where I would retire. I'd set my entire life around, you know, that job. Mm-hmm. I was where I wanted to be financially, you know, had made, you know, long term goals based on where I was financially. And then, you know, in the, in the course of two hours, Whoa. you know, one day all of that was gone. Wow. Um, and and so. You know, financially, and we were just, you know, in a in a tailspin because, you know, we we budgeted based on that salary, and all of a sudden, you know, it was gone, and it was devastating um, to have to think, you know, one as a, you know, as a professional, you know, what do I do right now? Do I take a survival job, and how do I do that? And 
you know, and then thinking about, you know, what will everybody think and, and right. just the um, the the blow to your esteem of, you know, and I had three three young children in private school. And I was like, okay, do I pull my kids out of school because I can't afford the tuition? And That's then, so you know. How do we, you know, I remember, you know, getting down to, you know, one day all we had in the refrigerator was a pack of frozen peas. Um, and then the the having to, you know, battle through the who do I ask for help when usually I'm the helper. Um, all of that, you know, was just devastatingly traumatic and and it was really difficult to bounce back from that because uh, we were used to being in control financially right, right and to have your your sense of control and and your sense of security yanked out from under you most yeah. definitely That's... you know but loss of of financial stability can be very complicated because there's so many layers right yeah well and i think and that's something that i don't think we think about a lot we think of it from the standpoint of what we consider to be traditional forms of trauma (laughs) you know you know an attack or or something or you know but we don't think about how our finances can completely shake our world with especially with like you said you've got um your everything's planned we just need to step into it <laughs> and it doesn't work out right. that way, you know? Um, so we, we're going to go into the balance challenge um, and then we'll come back to this. Keeping your balance with Dr. Pamela, Dr. Pamela, Dr. Pamela. Okay. So this week's balance challenge is to face your truth. And so Again, trauma is not something that impacts everybody in the same way or a traumatic experience, I should say. One traumatic experience. Let me just say this. One experience does not impact everybody traumatically the same way. Um, So what I want you to do this week is I want you to think about what are the things that trigger you? What sets you off? What brings back um, moments of of, um, anxiety or, or situations that really um, caused you trauma and how is that impacting your behavior and your responses today sometimes we we behave in ways that um, we don't understand or that we don't even think about and so I think that one helpful way to identify how we've been um, how our traumatic experiences have impacted us is to look at what triggers you um, if there's something that that just gets you angry and irate and frustrated in ways that doesn't impact other people that might be a, a clue to something that's rooted in a traumatic experience um, now this is just a, a you know um, my own you know view from some of the research I've done and some of the things I've read but I would love to hear Jill's take on this as well do you have any thoughts about that Jill um, about what triggers you yeah and about how how sometimes the things that trigger you can be connected to something that was a traumatic at, at some point in your life you know, I can I can give a great example um, for your listeners, you know, just connected to that financial loss. Um, you know, when I lost that job, I was called into, you know, the CEO's office mm-hmm. all of a sudden and, you know, walked out unemployed. Wow. Uh, but even today, you know, if my boss sends me an email and says, come over to my office, it's it just mm. sets off this anxiety Ooh. inside of me. And I'm like, oh my God, not again. Mm. Even though, you know, 
logically, I know, you know, I'm doing a great job. Right. But I but I thought I was doing a great job before and I actually was. But that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) But still, you know, that immediately triggers me and I have this physical response. Mm to that. Um, and I've had to learn how to kind of talk myself, you know, down right. from that. Um, and, and to just remind myself, you know, things are going well, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You know, just yesterday, she, you know, told you at a girl, great job. Right. Um, so little bitty things can, can trigger. Oh gosh. And, and something again, and this goes back to one person's trigger, you know, you know, or source of anxiety, you know, is not another's, you know, it's, it's just very different. And we, I I struggle when I hear people try to universalize some things because it doesn't apply to everyone. Um, you know, and, and for mine, I would say that it's the fear of, of being misunderstood. I don't know what my problem is. I don't know why that matters to me so much, but if I'm in a situation in a conversation and I feel like I'm being misunderstood, that's a trigger for me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make you understand where I'm coming from. (laughs) And so, um, so that's something that if I were to take the challenge, which again is to think about what triggers you face the truth of that and dig into that. I need to dig into, okay, what's the root of my fear of being misunderstood? What is that about? Um, We got to go to break, but we'll be right back. Love Notes with Dr. Pamela. Okay, so today's love note is by Nyla. And um, and, and Jill, I I keep wanting to call you Dr. Jill. You're almost there, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, but Dr. Jill keeps almost coming out. <laughs> You're our honor- honorary doctor for Beat today. those things as though they were. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, today's love letter is brought to you by Write Pitch Publish. It is the Innovative Writers Conference, and we will have inter- uh, we'll have literary agents to get your manuscripts reviewed, to pitch your book to, um, learn from experts. It's coming April 7th to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information, go to writepitchpublish.com. So I, the reason why I, um, I I wanted to call you Dr. Jill just now is because I really think that you may be able to help out with this situation. It's a letter from Nyla, and though she wrote it to me, I feel like you're really the resident expert here today. <laughs> so Nyla is saying, Dear Dr. Pamela, why do some people get over... It's the same thing that we've been talking about, actually. But now we can dig into the resiliency stuff you're talking about. Um, why do some people get over difficult situations better than others? I've noticed the difference in some of my close friends. They can be dealing with the exact same situation and one friend will overcome with flying colors while others stay in a place of misery for years. I have to admit that I struggle to help the people in my life who stay in dark places. I just wonder how some can bounce back while others can't. Nyla. Um, I would say to Nyla that it, it, it's a tra- this factor called resilience that makes the difference Um in you know how quickly some people bounce back and resilience are the things that give you the capacity to recover quickly mm-hmm. from difficulties or tough times um it's a, it's something they teach um to people in the military but you know i think we civilians need you know to learn a lot more about resilience and how to build those factors in our lives 
Yes. Because um, if, if we're prepared, um, if we have a support network, if we have good communication skills, um, if we have good problem solving skills, if we um, have learned how to regulate our emotions, it helps us move through dark times and traumatic experiences. So I I think, you know, I'd say to Nyla that that's the difference she's seeing in her friends is that some of them just have more resilience. Is there anything that she can do to, I mean, because, I mean, what could she possibly do for those who are kind of stuck in those dark places and maybe haven't had those buffers, you know, to make them more resilient? Is there, is that out of her hands? Um, No, it's not out of her hands. Um, As a good friend, she could definitely point her friends in directions of things that will help them to build their resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the top things is having or making good connections and having good relationships, close relationships with friends and family. So she can be that good friend for, you know, her friends who are in dark places and supporting them in ways that, you know, feel warm and fuzzy, Mm -hmm. but sometimes supporting our friends is showing them some tough love. Yeah. Um, and kind of letting them see themselves and say, you know, this is how I'm seeing you and I love you and I'm not used to you being in this place and asking the person, what can I do to help? So I think that's one major thing that she can do, um, for her friends. Um, the other thing, one other thing she can do is to help her friends to reframe the situations that they're experiencing. A lot of times, if we can just change the way we think mm. about a situation, that will help our emotions turn around. When we see a situation as just insurmountable and we lose hope, right? that keeps us in that dark place. But if she can you know, just kind of highlight the silver lining that she sees and maybe, you know, her friends can catch on to some of that and begin to change the way that they think. Yeah, it's about relationships. And and I'm a firm Mm -hmm. believer that relationships are a basic human need. And um, Maslow says it too. (laughs) Most definitely. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. Right. Welcome to the live exchange hour number two, Dr. Pamela, where we exchange compelling dialogue around love. Are we? Okay. Well, I've just been told we're still in the first hour. But you know what? I got this bootleg computer in front of me that gives me the time wrong. So, <laughs> so my bad, but it's great to have great producers behind you. So we are talking about trauma and how we overcome trauma. And so right before the break, um, Jill was was talking about how to help Nyla with her friends because she has um, a set of friends who overcome certain situations really well. They bounce back. They keep it moving, right? That's Those are the easy friends to have, right? Because we don't have to put in 
too much extra work and, you know, we can just kind of flow with them. They may even motivate and encourage us. But then we have another set of friends that need a little bit more TLC. And um, and I love what Jill was saying um, prior to the break about really just making sure that we nurture um, those relationships and be that support um, for those people. Jill, when is it too much? When, you know, when is, you know, there's this thing called um, compassion fatigue. You know, when is it we've done too much and we need to start protecting ourselves and how do we protect ourselves? You know, that was one of the um, next things I was thinking to say um, to Nyla is that there comes a point when you have to take care of yourself. Okay, I'm going to stop you. Um, Don't lose that thought. We'll be right back. Okay, we are at, now we're at the second hour (laughs) of the live exchange where we are talking love, politics, and intellect every Thursday from 11 to 1. And I have joined with me today, Jill Mays, and we're talking about re-emerging, looking at life, love, and self-care after trauma. And so Jill was in the middle of explaining to us what it means to care for yourself and to have self-care for a, um, a, a, a somebody who wrote in asking how to care for her friends who are struggling. So Jill, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I was saying, you know, with, for Nyla, so that darkness doesn't overcome her, there comes a point where she's going to have to focus on taking care of herself and getting herself in places um, that are light for her. Now, in a situation like that, when you start to feel angry at the person who's depressed or in a dark place, um, when you feel like you have to do everything for them or it won't get done, Mm. those are kind of, you know, kind of, red flags that you need to start taking care of yourself. And, and I love this example. Um, I always use this with my clients when you're on an airplane, you know, they tell you in the, the event of an emergency, if right. the oxygen mask come down, you're supposed to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Yes. Otherwise, cause if you can't breathe, how can you help anybody else? And, <laughs> and it's the same thing when we're trying to support and nurture our friends or families, you know, through depression or through complicated grief, we've got to take care of ourselves first. And sometimes that's pointing the other person in the direction of professional help. Right. Yeah. And and you can only do so much if they choose not to go in that direction. Exactly. And you have to learn how to set up boundaries and limits for yourself and boundaries that say, I care. But I've got to take care of me. And sometimes the most loving thing for me to do is to keep pointing you toward, you know, taking care of yourself as well. Right. I love that. That is beautiful. And, you know, it's interesting um, it, it, This when you said, um, you know, doing things for them that they won't do for themselves for some weird reason marriage came up and (laughs) oh like in marriage no um and that wasn't my that was definitely not my experience in marriage but what it it did trigger was uh, a conversation I had earlier this week around the a research study that said that women experience more stress in marriage than the men do 
And um, as we went into reading the article, it basically said that it's because um, at her times, women will just silently take on the tasks that her spouse isn't handling um, and and take on way too much. And again, the key word is silently. Um, so not asking for help, but being very frustrated and weighing the weight to be put on her shoulders, but being very frustrated and resentful about it. Um, and so it, it, again, that, that idea of taking the rest of self and making sure you're okay so that the rest of the people in your life, you know, that you can take care of other people. You know, I think about that experience of of being a wife and, you know, a couple of things there. One, which is a positive thing, I was like being being in that role of mom and juggling so many things and taking care of so many things. You know, it can build resiliency because you have this long history of being able to look back and say, I accomplished that. I overcame that. I did that. Right. And you get you have this confidence of, you know, whatever life throws at me, I'll be able to figure it out even while I'm doing the carpool. Yes. So it's <laughs> it's great on that that side. But there is a limit to how much, you know, we our human capacity to take on challenges without a break, without a breather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's really, really important for moms to, you know, celebrate the fact that, you know, you can work 10 computer screens all at the same time and manage <laughs> all the kids and your husband and your own job and career, and your own hobbies. But sometimes you need to shut it all down yes. and just have some me time if you want to be able to keep doing that. And you need to teach your children and your spouse how to take care of themselves. Yeah, that's key. That is key. It, so. It, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to another break, but I mean that is so important. It's great to have the skill, but you got to know how to shut it off. <laughs> exactly. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and on the line is Jill Mays, licensed professional counselor. And um, you know, we were just talking about taking on everybody's burdens and taking on the task of the family and being a stellar multitasker. But what does that mean to your own self-care and livelihood? Jill, you, um, you have some thoughts about how to tie that into, into trauma. Yeah. I was thinking about that, that mom or that wife. And when we were talking about complicated grief, I mean, this may be one of those situations, you know, should something happen to that mother, the Mm -hmm. mom who's, super mom right that could set up the children and the spouse for complicated grief because not only did they lose you know this person that they love but they lost the person who was the keeper of all of the the Mm. information wow the keeper of the the keeper of the strategy of the family the keeper of the logistics and that can be devastating they're like the glue yeah Wow. Mm-hmm. That is, I, you know, I never really thought about it that way. So, I mean, honestly, you're, you're possibly doing the family a disservice in your service and in a way that you may not have considered. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's. And even, and, and for some individuals, you know, who find themselves as this caretaker, you know, if you look back in their personal history, you know, I know a lot of times 
I find with clients that when they were children, they were put in the position to be the caretaker for the adults in the family, whether that was um, parents who were using drugs, parents who were neglectful, but they were set up at a very early age. Now, I've heard you know hundreds of women talk about you know being five years old and taking care of you know their mom, taking care of you know two younger siblings, trying to go to school. Right. And and these are the the super moms that we see today. Mm. who take care of everything because it's what they were trained to do. It's what they learned. Yeah. And they don't realize that, you know, all of this activity that looks, you know, great on the outside is really steeped in a traumatic childhood. Woo, that's deep. I hate to cut away from this, but <laughs> we we do need to go to trending topics. But I want to get back to that when we come when we're finished with trending topics. So first, trending topics. Lack of diversity, gas prices, Michael Jackson, trending topics. Okay, so we talked about Black Panther. We talked about Stacey Dash. Now, um, the other trending topic, by the way, brought to you by Peasy Heads Lemon Butter Butter Cream. Let Peasy Heads bring out the best natural you. Check out their services um, and products at www.peasyheads.com. That's P-E-E-Z-Y-H-E-A-D-Z. Dot com amazing amazing products so trending also um is the um tragedy that happened in florida with the shooting and um but what what is interesting is the response that is happening as a result of the students activism they're fed up and they are saying no more we need to do something about this um so many companies such as avis car rental Best Western Hotels, Delta Airlines, they've all withdrawn their member benefit programs with the NRA um, as a result of this controversy of gun control um, after the most recent mass shooting in Parkland, Florida. So governor of Georgia, Nathan Deal, has stated on record that he will kill any tax legislation that benefits Delta unless the company changes its position and fully reinstates its relationship with the NRA. Ah, I think that's just... Messy. Now we're mixing, mixing government and private businesses, and it's it's ironic though because it's you know the and I believe you know the it tends to be more on the Republican side that says we need businesses out of we need government out of the businesses business just just get their hands out of our business. This is the opposite. <laughs> now it's like, no, no, we only want, you know, the hands out of business when it's not serving our interests. Um, the other thing before we, you know, go into discussion about that, Dick's Sporting Goods, one of the nation's largest sport retailers, said Wednesday morning that it would immediately end sales of all assault-style rifles in the stores. The retailer also said it would no longer sell high-capacity ma- magazines and that it would not sell any gun to anyone under 21 years of age, regardless of local laws. Edward Stack, CEO, stated that seeing the cover the courage of the students in the parkland florida school touched him and made him want to do something about it so we're going to go to break but when we come back i actually want to dig into this just a little bit um so stay with us and we'll be right back All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and on the phone, we have licensed professional counselor, Jill Mays. Hello, Jill. 
Hi, everyone. <laughs> I am just, um, we, we were just doing the trending topics and talking about, you know, it's like this chain of events, you know, and I've seen the chain of events, uh, a graphic of the chain of, a, of events on social media. You know, we have the shooting, we have thoughts and prayers, we have anger, we have inaction, nothing happens, everybody forgets about it, and then we go back to another shooting. So, yes, that is a cycle that has that has definitely been happening. Well, the cycle is a little different this time around. And so if I were to describe the cycle, I see it as school shooting happened, students are angry, they stand up, they protest, um, celebrities and businesses respond to stand with the students, government responds to say, how dare you students and businesses have something to say and try to silence them. That's where we are right now. I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> what do you, you have any thoughts about this, Jill? Um, you know, I, I think it's just a place where we have to be as a community, um, because people who, who've been traumatized to find their power are going to rise up and rightly so and yeah. say, I need the world to be a different place right. for me. I, I need, you know, protection from the trauma. I need to be, that's where their hope comes from. Hmm. In in fighting for change, so I think we're just in a necessary place in our in our society. Absolutely, I, you know, and it's funny because the frustration, and I I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but my frustration with the quote unquote gun control debate is that it's just two sided. Ban guns, don't ban guns. No, ban guns, don't ban guns. And it's like they're saying the same thing louder and louder to each other, but. There are so many other creative ways, hence the Academy of Creative Coaching, <laughs> creative ways to come up with a solution. So it's not just either this or that. It could be a combination of both. It could be neither. But nobody until now have had conversations about how do we actually resolve this in a way that that can be creative and effective. Right. But I, And I, I think that, you know, sometimes we get so stuck in our position yes, and our feelings around it that we're not able to, to even see when the other person's position is the same as ours. Right. Because it's coming out of, it's coming out of somebody else's mouth. Yeah. So of course it's against me. And that somebody but, else know, looks like that and it doesn't look like me. So it must be bad. Right. And, <laughs> and one of the things I think we have to understand is that people's lifestyle and the way that they grew up and the things that they value when somebody threatens to take that away from you, you have a natural reaction to dig in yes. to protect that. Right. So yes. everybody's feeling afraid that, you know, my way of life or, or what I see as, you know, my safety or the things that protect me, somebody's trying to take that away. And it makes right. sense to me that people would dig in. Well, absolutely. So and, and, you, and I have to go to the research. But one thing I do want to say is that the, the change change in business organizations, personal life, um, people have um, cited the um, the stages of grief with change. Uh -huh. And so we may have to be open to the fact that we may have to go through the stages of grief to resolve this problem. Um, but we'll come back to that. First, I want to do the research. In the interest of science, 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 science. science. 
So anybody who knows me knows that I cannot talk about trauma without talking about post-traumatic growth. (laughs) Jill, you know that too, right? (laughs) About me. That is um, an area of um, research that I don't know that um, a lot of people know about. I can go into a room with um, hundreds of psychologists and say, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic growth? And maybe one will raise their hand, but it has been my experience that I've had nobody raise their hand because it's not something that, um, for whatever reason, um, has made the waves and 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 so and maybe it may just be the particular terminology um, but what it really means is the ability to thrive and grow after a traumatic experience even if the person has um, gone down the road of suffering from PTSD or um, post-traumatic stress if they've even if they've experienced that there still is a possibility of experiencing growth um, and so it's different from resiliency in that resiliency is about overcoming a particular situation and bouncing back and being able to move on and and carry on with life. Post-traumatic growth is about how you change your life as a result of the traumatic experience, a positive life change that happens, not just because of, or not just with that particular situation or not about overcoming that situation, but actually um, for future situations that come up in your life. Um, Now, one of the things that I really wanted to bring up as it pertains to post-traumatic growth is what makes a person more likely to experience growth after trauma? This is a common question that I get. How can I make myself more likely to experience growth? What, who is predisposed to growth after trauma? And so there are four points that are made. And the University of North Carolina, Charlotte has a center for uh, study of post-traumatic growth. And here is this information comes from there. So there's four things that make a person more likely to experience growth after trauma. Number one is extroversion. That means that they have, now let me clarify, it doesn't mean they're an extrovert. And I know, contrary to popular belief, I'm not an extrovert. I'm pretty much an introvert. But so, but so to, so to say that I have to be, you know, extroverted in order to experience post-traumatic growth would be kind of like, ah, what it means is that you have to have moments of extroversion. You have to be willing to experience moments of extroversion where you're willing to reach out, where you're willing to connect to people. And then you can go back, you know, and read your book on the beach by yourself, you know, but you have to be willing to have moments of extroversion. Number two, optimism. So not having a spirit of opt- uh, of negativity, pessimism, I can't do it, I can't do it. You've got to be able to have a spirit of optimism. What are the possibilities? Being able to see over the hump, being willing to look beyond where you are now. Number three is positive affect. So that basically means that you can see ways in which you can possibly positively impact the lives of others. Because part of post-traumatic growth is not only you grow, but you use your life to help other people grow. And the last one is openness to experience. So the new experiences. Uh, my son, for example, is in California and he is about to experience a new career that he's never even considered, but he's willing to step out and experience it. I've moved from a, a state to another because I'm willing and I'm open to experience. So those are the four extroversion, optimism, positive affect, and openness to experience. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. We're talking about trauma and how 
to reemerge with life after trauma. And I just kind of, in the um, research, gave four different ways that people reemerge or, or change their lives, um, grow after traumatic experience. And that's through moments of extroversion, through being optimistic, positive affect, and openness to experience. Do you have anything to add to that, Jill? You know, I, I was loving hearing you um, talk about that. I always love to hear you talk about that. <laughs> but you. I was thinking how our physical body is really a great demonstration of what you just talked about. Mm. You know, I, I said before, I, I broke my foot. Yes. So I'm, keenly, I'm keenly aware of that. And I, I um, was looking up quotes to try to encourage me while I'm sitting here, you know, uh-huh. at home not able to get out but there's one i ran across that said the broken bone once set together is stronger than ever whoa and i i think you know what our physical body does demonstrates what we can do emotionally and mentally Mm. you know and i go back to you know that financial trauma that i had and following that i went into a really major uh, depression a long period of that wow Uh, and i was able to reach out for help and you know, bounce back and put everything back together emotionally and mentally. But since then, you know, and and I'm a great person of faith, but, you know, my mantra now is, you know, to the devil, I was like, you should have killed me then because there's no chance that (laughs) I'm ever going down now because I I can look back and say, I came through that. You know, there's nothing like that can throw at me Mm. that, you know, I won't be able to get through. So I I think I grew from that traumatic experience. And so what you're saying, you know, it just really hits home for me. Wow. Oh, I love that. I love it. If you're going to get me, you should have got me then. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. That's great. That's great. And I do see um, a lot of metaphors for what happens physically and how that um, can relate to our mental you know, growth and well-being as well. Um, I think that's a really great point. Um, one of the questions that I meant to ask you earlier, um, you know, what are some of the setbacks that you've seen as it pertains to people in love, in life, or in self-care after their traumatic experiences? And I know that's a big question. So if, you know, any chunk of it, if you just <laughs> if you want to focus on. Oh, you know, kind of I've, over the years of, of practice, I've seen, you know, my gosh, just tons of examples, but um, I think of one back in um, 2010 when the, after the BP oil spill and all the people, you know, in the the Gulf area were just devastated. Um, But there was one gentleman who was a shrimper. Mm. Um, He went out and, you know, caught shrimp and sold them for a living and he was talking about how um, the whole disaster impacted him, but he didn't realize it until one day he was sitting down to dinner with his wife and they were having gumbo, but they were having gumbo with no shrimp because, you know, you all the seafood was contaminated. And he talked about how from that moment, you know, he kind of just lost his will and lost his way because his whole way of life was just, wept out from under him Hmm. and you know and i i don't know still to this day um you know whether that gentleman has recovered from that um but it was a huge setback you know one day you're you're you go to work with your nets and everything's fine and and the next day you know you there's something wrong with the gumbo and and that kind of signals Hmm. you know 
something really major and awful here happened in my life. Um, so that's one example of, of kind of a life setback. Right. Um, well, that reminds I, me of I, grief, too. Again, that mm-hmm. loss and having to go through those stages of grief to deal with the loss. I mean, somebody would say, ah, oh, it's just shrimp. Get over it. But that's his livelihood. As you mentioned before, when you ask people to shift and change their livelihood, that's major. Right. And he was a shrimper and his father was a shrimper. Yeah. So that, that was all he knew. Right. And, oh. and the prospect of how do I get another job? Mm-hmm. When this is all I know how to do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And to try to train your brain to think about something else. That's I can't imagine. And and so mm-hmm. the other we're going to get into balance challenge, but I want to make sure that we come back to this. Um, so. So, yeah, let's just go ahead and go into balance challenge. Keeping your balance with Dr. Pamela. Dr. Pamela. Dr. Pamela. Okay, so this week's balance challenge, everybody, just as Jill was saying, you know, this individual is um, struggling because his whole life and livelihood was around shrimping. Um, When the oil spill happened, it completely, you know, obliterated his career and everything he knew. So one of the things that I really want you to understand is that what impacts us is not the same as what may impact somebody else, that we all have very different um, levels of tolerance for different things that happen in our lives. So I want you to look at yourself individually and face your own truth. Think about what triggers you. What is the thing that causes anxiety, makes you sweat, makes your heart pound um, by just the thought of it? Or, or just, you know, walking into an experience that reminds you of it. What are some of the things that trigger you? And the reason why this is important is because there's a root to that. There's a reason why you have this kind of response. And a lot of us are not familiar or don't really know why we react the way that we do to certain situations. So I want you to think about what triggers you and what is that tied to? Think about what that is tied to. And, and I mentioned in the first hour that one of the things that triggers me is not being understood or not being, um, is, is being misunderstood. And, you know, so when, because I always have, um, you know, lofty ideas and good intentions. And so when my good intentions are misunderstood, um, you know, I've had several, you know, people in my life just step out of my life permanently because they misunderstood something I said. So I may be answering my own question, like, what is that trauma tied to? And I think <laughs> my fear of being misunderstood is, I guess, that is connected to people leaving because they completely misunderstood an intention that I had or or something that I said. So what triggers you um, and and what is that tied to? Do you have anything to add to that, Jill? You know, one of the things I think we haven't talked about, um, for a lot of people, dating and relationships can be triggers. Mm. I think about individuals who experience um, sexual trauma in childhood or rape as an adult and how any type of romantic or sexual relationship can just be a trigger. Right. Just in itself, just the existence of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The, the fear of I'll you know if I meet somebody, you know how do I keep them at arm's length so I don't ever have to deal with the fear that I feel in sexual situations. Mm. That's really good because I'm going to have to stop you there. I hate having to stop you because you always have good stuff. <laughs> um, but we're going to go to break uh, and we come back. We're going to continue this conversation. Stay with us. 
All right. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking about reemerging after trauma. So what does that mean for our life, our love, and our self-care? Um, and so right before the break, you know, Jill was talking about how our... Um, Jill, I, what was the last thing you said? Do you remember? We were talking about... Um, <laughs> How dating a romantic yes. relationship can be a trigger. Yes, how that in itself can be a trigger. So what? And I because I had a question, a follow up question to that. And you know, so many of us, you know, we live in denial and blindness to our situation. So we may not even realize that just the mere experience of being in a relationship is a trigger. You know, so how can people recognize when they're experiencing this? You know, the after effects of of a traumatic experience in everyday life. And you know, there, there's several symptoms um, that we can look for to, that might tend to say, you know, there's something going awry. Mm. Um, like if if people experience significant changes to sleep or app- or their appetite following an event, you know, that's something to pay attention to um, new for you. Mm-hmm. That might be something to that's new for you. Mm-hmm. That might be something to, you know, make note of. But what if, if these, you find oh, yourself, ahead. oh, if you find yourself being more event, mm. you know, and angry than you were prior to the event, mm. you know, that could be something beginning to feel overwhelming feelings of guilt and shame or blaming yourself for mm. what happened when it was totally out of your control. Right. You know, if you're finding yourself isolating from other people or not wanting to be around anybody, just wanting to close in to yourself because mm-hmm. that feels safer for you. So, yeah. All of those are things that might be able to break through that. Denial. Things that they have become a way of life. You know? no. But can you recognize those things if they have become a way of life? You know, perhaps those things started those all those symptoms may have been evident when you were maybe 12 years old and now you're 37 and you've been living this way since you were 12. How do you recognize that if that has just become your normal? You know, a lot of times um, other people will tell us. Mm, okay. Family members and friends will say, hey, you know, you're not yourself. You know, this isn't how what my experience of you has been before. A lot of times people will hear it at work. You know, mm. hey, your performance is, you know, going down. So a lot of times the first clue will be somebody else saying, I see something Thumbs different up. in you that. And I'm concerned. And we have to listen when we hear people say that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's hard sometimes to yeah. listen. Yes, it is. Because a lot of times we know intuitively, if I listen, that means I'm going to have to deal with this. And that can be a really <laughs> scary thought. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, so this that was a very perfect transition to, with regards to this. The last things I wanted to address with, um, um, with regards to this topic, um, Brene Brown. Are you familiar with Brene Brown? No. So Brene Brown is is my girl crush. <laughs> my research scholar girl crush. <laughs> because she is also um, a researcher like myself. And she looks at things like difficult situations, uh, overcoming, um, you know, difficult situations. And so when we come back, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what she says about that. And we're going to we're going to close out. But I, I just think it's the perfect way to kind of come back. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. Okay. So Brene Brown. 
So she says, and this is in her latest book, um, Rising Strong. We're face down in the arena. Maybe the crowd is just when violent, the way it does at a football game or at my daughter's field hockey matches when players on the field take a knee because someone's hurt. Or maybe some people have started booing or jeering. Or maybe you've had tunnel vision and all you hear is your parents screaming, get up, shake it off. Our face down moments can be big, like getting fired or finding out about an affair. Or they can be small ones like learning a child has lied about her report card or experiencing disappointment at work arenas always conjure up grandeur but an arena is any moment when or um when when or place where we have risked showing up and being seen risking being awkward and goofy at a new exercise class is an arena leading a team at work is an arena arena tough parenting moments put us in the arena and being in love is definitely an arena i think the absence of honest conversation about the hard work it takes from lying down in the arena to rising strong has led to two dangerous outcomes and recovery stories gold plating grit basically saying that we like to hear the recovery stories and move quickly through the dark so we can you know we, we don't want to hear about the dark part just tell us how you rose up and um, the other part is the badassery deficit basically rather than def- def- feeling disappointed we choose to live disappointed and so we have a def- deficit in being a badass and this is these are Brene Brown's words. <laughs> um, so emotional stoicism. We just become story. You just want to get to the good part. Jill, do you have any dirt in the mess of the story? You just want to get to the good part. Jill, do you have any thoughts? Any final thoughts? We're getting close to the end. Um, I, I wanted to say something about I think that the badassery deficit. Uh-huh. Um, I think that definitely is the villain of resilience. Ooh. Because when we don't, um, when we're not able to sit and listen to what other people's pain and hurt and dark times felt like, yes, when we're not able to make the connection to ourselves, and then so we hear the the end of the recovery story, the celebration, mm-hmm. the the yay, you got through it, right? But we're not able to apply that to our lives when we need to. Because we won't recognize, okay, this hurt that I'm feeling, this is what she was talking about. I can apply it now. Yes. It's part of the process. Yes. You got to be able to to hear and experience the pain. And it it opens you up to your own pain and and your own self-awareness, which is what, what lets you know you need to do something to take care of yourself. I love it. That is brilliant. I love it. And and one of the things I want to make sure the audience gets is the opportunity to connect with you, Jill. You are the owner of, is it Ezel Counseling? Ezel. Ezel. It's Ezer. It's, it's a Greek word. It means to help. To help. I love it. And how can they find you? Is there a website? Yes, there is a website. Um, actually, I just launched a brand new website. And it's Ezer Counseling Help dot website and that's w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot com forward slash website okay well you know and we'll also get that link and, and attach it to the live broadcast and my page and make sure that everybody has access to it thank you so much for joining us today jill oh thank you for having me on i it was a wonderful conversation and one that that we need to continue having absolutely perhaps in a public forum at some point so we can get people engaged in this conversation 
Um, so that was Jill Mays, licensed professional counselor. Thank you for joining us. Joining us next Thursday from 11 to 1 right here on the Sensation Station where I will be joined by Pastor Wesley Thompson to discuss the power of faith. I'm very excited about this topic. I'm Dr. Pamela. And remember, love yourself to life, dance confidently in the dark, and dream wildly unrealistic dreams. Have an amazing week.